Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I have an exciting guest on for you today, and I can't wait for you guys to get to know him better. We have Cody Bozeman. Welcome. Hi. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for getting here early. <laughs> it is definitely early. <laughs> bright and early. We're uh, bright and early live at Wasatch Recovery, and I'm grateful to have uh, Cody uh, Bozeman on the show today. He has an incredible story. And uh, he's going to share the gift of his son, Jet. And, uh, you know, he uh, lost his son, Jet. Uh, how long has it been now? Just uh, It's just barely been over 18 months. 18 months. And uh, as you, you know, as you can imagine how hard that would be to lose uh, one of your children. But uh, I love uh, Cody's attitude around this whole thing. And, and before we kind of get into that, though, which is going to be incredible and uh uh, why don't you give our listeners a little background on you, just kind of, you know, where you grew up, a little bit about your family. Sure. Um, so I grew up here in Salt Lake. Uh, grew up over in the Sugar House area. Um, went to high school at East High. And then, let's see, I went to college. I started down at College of Eastern Utah in Price. Okay. Um, felt like I attended Snow College at the same time because I was there every weekend. <laughs> Then I went to UVSC back when it was still not UVU. Okay. And I moved up to the University of Utah. Then I went to Salt Lake Community. Then I ended up at Utah State. And I ended up graduating from Utah State. Boy, you went to a lot of schools. I I made well, my rounds. What was the reasoning for that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess I had slight ADD or something. And <laughs> couldn't, couldn't stick in one place for very long. And okay. so uh, I got to Utah State. I fell in love with Logan. Right. Um, and so it just stuck. I stayed in Logan and I call it a vortex now. I, right. I end up back in Logan for some reason <laughs> whenever I whenever I don't expect it. So yeah. um so graduated from Utah State with uh an aviation maintenance management uh degree actually. Okay. And went out and I guess while I was up at Utah State, I met my wife. Um we got married and she got dragged along on a lot of adventures. Uh First one being, well, I guess first one after school was uh, my first job, which I worked for the airlines as a mechanic. Okay. Um, my goal was never to be a mechanic, though. It was to be a pilot. And so as I was a mechanic, I was working on all my flying ratings and worked through okay. those. And finally worked up to the point where I had enough hours and had my ratings. And I was able to get hired on at a small regional airline in Portland. Oh, really? Okay. And so... Our next adventure is, you know, we hauled her up to, to Portland and we lived in Portland for a year. And that was about 2007, 2008, um, when the economy started to go downhill. And so as I was flying, uh, the airline business wasn't so hot. And so yeah. I lost my job up there Okay. and was faced with the decision of, do I stick in the aviation business or do I change and go some other direction? So so I decided that I want to go another direction and I'd been out of school for two years at that point and forgot how much I hated school. So <laughs> I figured I, uh, I'd go back to school and, um, surprisingly enough, I never took a science course in college for aviation management. Okay. And so I had to go back and do two years of prereqs and, oh, uh, wow. decide if I liked school again or not. And I did. And so then I applied to dental school and I got in. Um, so it was a 180 degree change from aviation, but, um, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And yeah, why dentistry did you, that's an excellent question. <laughs> um, I guess really the biggest pusher in dentistry is my, my father's a dentist. 
Okay. And that I kind of grew up thinking, I don't want to be a dentist. I want to do my own thing and yeah. not follow in his footsteps. But then when it came down to really deciding, I looked into dentistry and realized it's a very mechanical career and having a mechanical background and a maintenance right. background. Uh, I mean, literally I started looking at the cool procedures they did and placing implants is essentially placing a screw in someone's mouth and right. use a teeny little torque wrench. And that's what I was used to in maintenance. And so, okay. So it kind of fit right into my, uh, right into my wheelhouse. And yeah, if I can fix a plane, I can fix someone's right, teeth. Right. Right. You're just working on the micro level instead of the macro level. So, right. yeah. um, so yeah, so started dental school. I got into, uh, actually this is, this was kind of interesting. I, I got into one school. Um, I got waitlisted at, I think three or four schools. Okay. The one school I got into was, uh, University of Utah had a agreement with Creighton University out in Omaha, Nebraska, where we would do our first year in dental school at the U, at the medical school. Um, so they take 10 students from Utah each year and put us into this med school program for where we spend a year here. We do med school in the mornings with the med students. Then the afternoons we do dental school okay. and learn, you know, the essential dental things. Yeah. After a year, they send us out to Omaha, Nebraska, and we spend our next three years in Omaha. I didn't want to do that program. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in Omaha, <laughs> yeah. had no desire. Uh-huh. And, uh, the three other programs I got into were, well, I got waitlisted at was UConn out in Connecticut. I thought I was a shoe in for that. So I was just waiting for the day when they accepted me. Right. I got into, or got waitlisted at UOP in San Francisco. So both pretty destination spots. And I really wanted to go to either one of them. Sure. I don't remember the third one I got waitlisted at, but there was another one. And so I was waiting for any of those programs to open up and let me in and none of them did. And so I was stuck with going to Creighton and turns out in hindsight, it was the biggest, biggest blessing in my dental school career that I could have possibly had. And had that not happened, I probably would not have become a dentist. Really? Okay. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but it was really interesting just to see how that worked out. So my first year I spent at the university of Utah, um, lived at my parents' house. They live about a mile away from the U. And so, uh, me and my wife at the time were living there. And, uh, my argument would be, that's probably the hardest year of dental school is because you're doing med school with the med students yeah, and dental imagine. school on top of that. Sure. So it was pretty grueling. Um, my wife and I had been married for six years at that point, hadn't ever sat down and decided we wanted a kid. Um, but we got one, um, somehow he snuck past a couple goalies and, um, <laughs> ended up with a kid and we were not expecting it, but okay. you know, after she was pregnant for a couple months, we finally got on board and started to get excited. And so she went on for nine months and no problems, you know, all well, did, sounds you, good. did you not, I mean, at the time, were you just trying to get through all of that before you were thinking about having kids? Yeah. So we had talked about having kids and when we wanted them and, you know, being the first year or two of dental school is the hardest. We had kind of planned it out that, Hey, let's, let's have kids after the second year of dental school. So things have calmed down a little bit. We can handle a little, little, handle a little, little bit better. Sure. Not living with my parents. And, and so he just came at a different time. Um, so he comes probably the right before the end of the first semester of dental school. Um, pregnancy was great. We didn't see any issues. Uh, he had ultrasounds. Everything looked great. Um, anyway, when he was born, I remember it very, it's very, uh, just clear to me, the whole process. Uh, my wife was in labor for quite a while. Um, 
and Jet came out eventually, and the only thing I saw when he came out was a cleft lip. And so automatically in my mind, I'm literally in dental school. I'm in embryology. So we're learning about all the diseases, all the malformations. I have no idea at the time how a baby can be normal because of all the problems that can happen. Um, And, you know, learning the backstory of how babies are formed, it was horrible timing, but actually ended up being great timing. So he came out with a cleft lip and he also had a cleft soft palate. And that's all I could focus on. You know, you have a baby and they don't come out the perfect looking baby that you expected and your world kind of, kind of does the 360. Yeah. And, uh, little did I know a cleft lip and cleft palate are very easy to take care of. They're strictly, you know, cosmetic, but at the time it was devastating, especially to me because I had just learned about all the different diseases that are associated with cleft lips and cleft palates. So you probably had a little fear of that going into Absolutely. it. Like, man, I hope everything comes out okay. And yep. Yeah. And you know, I've had four kids of my own and I know that, that anxious, like, Oh, I hope it all works out. Yeah. And, and then to have to see that, I'm sure that was shocking It was at the time. Yeah. It was, it took my breath away and I, I didn't mean to say anything to scare my wife, but as he came out, I asked the doctor, I was like, was that a cleft lip that I saw? And she just wrote it off. She's like, oh yeah, that's a cleft lip, but no big deal. Like he's fine. And, uh, so anyway, I started diagnosing him from hour one with every different disease that I learned about in embryology. Mm -hmm. So I knew, I knew there was something wrong at first. I thought it was a lot of different things, but I was very hyper aware of everything that was going on because I thought there was a problem. Nobody else thought there was a problem. Um, you know, they thought, oh, he has a cleft lip and cleft palate. Like that's no big deal. Everything right. else is fine. Uh, you know, he's testing, he has a little bit high blood or what was it? Blood sugar. I think he had a high blood sugar and okay. a couple different things, but like, it's all normal. And as the months went by or weeks went by, he, I still caught, kept seeing these things that weren't normal to me. And okay, his pediatrician kept saying, no, he's just got really bad reflux and what, how was your wife at the time handling it? Was she kind of in the same boat? You both were really struggling with this whole thing or are you struggling more so than her? Uh, we were both, we were both pretty, pretty equal in how much we were struggling. And I think I, I was trying to kind of not stress my worries or push my worries on her because I thought maybe they're ungrounded because I just been through class and you know, everything in med school that I learned about, I diagnosed myself with. So (laughs) Yeah. Pretty sure I had every disease I learned about at some point in my head. Right. And so I thought that was just, uh, it's the same thing. I'm just being over analytical. Right. So anyway, fast forward eight weeks and, um, things just aren't going well. He stopped eating. Um, he already had problems eating because he had a cleft lip, but he's just completely stopped eating. Won't eat anymore. He's getting sick. He's getting a fever. So we decided to take him in. Um, we take him into the urgent care they take one look at him and take his oxygen levels and they're like, you know what? It's probably nothing, but you probably should go up to the ER at primary children's and mm-hmm. see what's going on. So we go up there and you know, they start looking at his vitals and they ask me my concerns and I'm like, everybody just says he has reflux or he's colicky, but I don't think that's the case. And luckily we had a great doctor at the ER. Um, mm-hmm. it was a family friend actually. And it's funny how things come around. Her name right. was Dr. Brinton. This is the first doctor that we ever saw that she said, yeah, there's something else going on here and we'll probably get to it, but skip forward. But she was actually the doctor that was uh, in charge of his care when he passed away. Oh, really? Um, Okay. So weird kind of ties. Yeah. But so we, uh, so they started looking into it 
And they kept saying, no, no, it's, it's, it's fine. This doctor said there was a problem and she ordered tests, um, but they couldn't find anything. And so they said, I think it's just, it's called Sandifer's syndrome. I'm like, oh, great. He's got a diagnosis. What's Sandifer's syndrome? <laughs> they said, oh, that's just a name for uh, severe reflux. I'm like, no, it's something else. So I refused to leave the hospital until I was asking for a, um, a brain scan for seizures and an okay. EEG and they refused to do it. And they finally, just to placate me, they're like, okay, we will do an MRI and then get out of here. So they did an MRI kind of against their own will. Right. And, uh, when they got the image back, they all just kind of looked at us and they're like, oh crap, something's going on. Okay. So turns out, um, he has a condition called ponto cerebellar hypoplasia, which the pons, which is in the brainstem okay. and the cerebellum, which is the little little brain in the back. Right. Um, they were extremely hypoplastic, so they just didn't form. They were there, but they were very little. Okay. Um, which creates its own problems that we won't have to get into. If they just weren't there, it could have been a whole different story. Yeah. But since they were there, the brain was trying to make connections in them. It was just too small. It couldn't make them. Okay. Um, fast forward a little bit. We're able to get a diagnosis of that. Our, our neurologist was incredible. Um, this was an incredibly rare disease. There was 50 kids in the nation diagnosed with this at the time. And somehow our neurologist had read about it in an article. And when he saw the MRI, it just kind of piqued his interest and he ordered some genetic tests and that's what it was. Um, <clears throat> so that was real hard. We, uh, my wife and I, you know, we got this diagnosis and they don't know much about it. And they told us, Hey, jet could live for anywhere from, you know, 16, 15, 16 weeks to two years old, but it's not going to be long. So they tell you this right off the, right out the get -go. They, they told us that they told us that there's not very much known about the disease and the okay. things that they could read. We had already read this. They had told us what it was. And so we had, you know, we had Google diagnosed everything, which right. is the worst thing you can possibly oh, do. Oh yeah. I mean, it just, <laughs> you know, you just start hearing all these things, seeing all these things and mm -hmm. brings all that fear into you. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And I had already Google diagnosed him long before we got to the hospital for this. Like I, he had yeah. every disease, but <laughs> in my eyes, yeah. anyway, so yeah, it was, you know, 16 weeks to two years. And I'm not sure if they told us that, or if that's what Google told us, but there wasn't very many articles and there was, I think like two articles out on it at the time. And we had read those and so they didn't have a real big sample size. Yeah. So is it pretty rare? Then? It is extremely rare. Okay. Um, and so we are we're just at a loss. We don't know what to do. And, you know, for anybody that's ever had a child that was born with special needs that they weren't expecting, or just a kid that has special needs. Um, we, we celebrated the death of jet right then and there, because that was the death of what we expected our child to be. Mm. Um, you know, we had to throw out all of our expectations, all of our hopes, all of our dreams that we had for him. We were big travelers. We wanted to take him around the world. Um, I was right. into aviation, hence the name jet. And we were hoping to take him on jets and go see the world yeah. and show our son everything that we ever wanted to. And, you know, I remember going to soccer games those first couple of weeks, there was a soccer field right by my parents' house and I would take jet and we'd go over to soccer games and I'd just sit there and cry because I knew he'd never good. He was never going to play soccer. Right. Um, so the prognosis of jet minus the lifespan, um, the first doctor, uh, it wasn't the doctor that diagnosed him with uh, PCH, but it was another neurologist who said, yeah, you know, he's going to be okay. He's going to, he's not going to have really great balance. He's certainly not going to be a concert pianist, but he'll be fine. And we're, so we had a little bit of hope. We're like, Oh yeah. great. Like that's not that bad. 
Anyway, the other neurologist uh, that diagnosed him kind of set us straight and he said, uh, he's probably never going to walk. He's probably never going to talk. Uh, it's doubtful that he'll ever sit up. Um, he might be able to eat, but you're probably going to have uh, a tummy button for him to eat through wow. um, a feeding tube. And he just, he just laid it out right then and there. And that was, that was harsh. Um, oh, yeah. So, so the fast forward to those, back to those soccer games, I'd go to the soccer games and I'd just sit there and I'd ball because Jet was never going to play soccer. And I, I'm a big soccer fan. I really yeah. wanted him to play soccer right. or play sports, whatever yeah. he wants to play. But you know, he's not going to play sports. He's not going to do anything. And so we didn't know exactly what to expect, but, um, interesting fact though, is going back to the, I only got into one dental school. Um, this is where it really came in key to me is he was so hard to take care of. Um, we weren't dealing with a disability at this point. We were dealing with chronic pain. Um, things didn't develop correctly. His stomach didn't develop correctly. His kidney didn't develop correctly. His intestinal tract didn't develop correctly. He couldn't digest food. Um, mm. so feeding him was the bane of his existence. He was just miserably pain in miserable pain every time we fed him, oh, wow. um, and would just scream and cringe. And, um, it was hard. Um, yeah. we didn't know what to do. We thought we were torturing our son. We're new parents. We can't take care of a special needs kid. Like yet we're not even dealing with the special needs yet. We're just dealing with trying to get him comfortable. And, uh, so it was such a blessing to be at my parents' house because we had somebody else to help us. Yeah. I had some support um, right there yep. with you. We had support living in the house. You know, when I was ready to throw jet out a window, I could give him to my mom and walk away. And, uh, same thing with, with Tanil. Um, she, would get really uptight with him and just set him down and walk out. And my mom and dad would come and take care of him. And yeah. they were, they were key there. Yeah, I can imagine how stressful and hard that was for you guys, especially in the beginning. Cause yeah, you, you don't even know how to handle a, a regular baby, <laughs> let alone a baby that's got all these issues. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, without going into too much detail, we, we ended up moving out to Creighton. Um, you know, somehow I got through that second semester of dental school. Um, my Dean, he approached me and, he said, you know what? I know you're in a hard position. If you, if you need to take this semester off and just restart dental school next year, we'll save a spot for you. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't about to do that. I wasn't, I wasn't about to let jet change our paths in life. Right. And I actually remember a conversation. Uh, it was driving home from primary children's one day. I don't remember what stage of diagnosis it was, but shortly after we got the diagnosis, uh, me and Tanil were driving home and we were both just bawling and we just looked at each other and we said, you know what? Jet's diagnosis is not going to define his life. His disability is not going to define his life. He's going to live his life and do as much as he possibly can, despite his diagnosis and right. his disability. And, uh, and that really, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that we were able to sit back and look at the whole big picture and just say, you know what? We're not going to become hermits because he has a disability. We're not going to shelter him because he has a disability. We're right. going to show him to the world. We're going to let him live his life. And, uh, you know, Seven years since then, I can look back at his life and I can say we hold true, we held true to our word, right? And uh, we shared Jet with the world, and we shared the world with Jet. And that's that's really amazing that uh, you did have that experience because a lot of people who go through something like this would, you know, want to kind of shelter themselves and kind of shut off from the world, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so it's great that you guys had that realization, and you know, and and obviously what a blessing that turned into from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I don't know whose idea it was, but whoever came up with it, <laughs> props to them. It was <laughs> right. probably Tanil because I was a mess at the time. Yeah. But 
Um, so anyway, fast forward out to Creighton. Um, we get out to Creighton. He's still miserable. He's, yeah. we, we can't figure out his pain. We can't figure out what's going on. Um, oh, actually, sorry. No, that's the right timeline. So we get out to Creighton. He, he can't fly. Um, he can't go on airlines because of the air. It's recirculated air. Oh, he could get yeah. sick. You know, a sickness with him is life threatening, right. you know, the common oh, yeah. cold. And so we were just very careful. We didn't know how Tanil and Jet were going to get out to Omaha with us. And so I went out a couple weeks early, got our house, got it fixed up, got it all ready for him. And uh, actually a family friend of Tanil's growing up has a private jet and he offered to fly, fly Jet and Tanil out to Omaha for us. So that was an incredible blessing. Um, we were able to get out to Omaha and we just started living our lives. Um, another blessing of being at Creighton is, um, the medical system out there, our insurance actually covered nighttime nursing out in Omaha, Oh wow! Okay. which jet didn't sleep. He didn't sleep at all. I mean, if he'd get two hours of sleep a night, it was a pretty good night and then he didn't sleep during the day either. So I don't know where he was sleeping, but, right. um, so we got, we got night nurses out there after some fighting and some figuring out and some work in the system. And we got night nurses five nights a week, six nights a week, seven. I think we had them all nights, all seven nights a week. And, and, uh, and for you guys, what a blessing I can imagine just to give you guys a little bit of relief. It was, it, yeah. it's a game changer. Um, yeah. I, I credit being in Omaha and being, cause in Utah that isn't covered. Uh, okay. our, our insurance does not cover home health care at all in Utah. Um, nor would it in most of the other states in California or in Connecticut, where I was hoping to go, mm-hmm. doesn't cover it there. Um, so we were incredibly lucky and I credit that to me getting through dental school. Cause if I had to get up with him every single night when I was trying to study on that schedule, it wasn't going to work. I would have had to drop out. Oh yeah. So huge blessing there. Um, so we're able to, as we're out in Omaha working with just the greatest, greatest pediatrician, um, her name was Dr. Laux and she was just amazing and listened to us and just worked with us instead of telling us what we need to do. Right. We were able to figure out a couple things that changed Jet's life. We got him on the correct medication and we took him off the formula and put him on, uh, we actually put him on the paleo diet and he ate completely paleo through his tube. And so Tanil would blend up paleo mixes every day. She'd take all real food and blend it all up and feed it to him through his feeding tube. And, um, and that was great. He was able to, he was able to thrive. Wow. So th- this is the point that we finally got to start seeing what his disability was. Now he's not fighting chronic pain. He's about a year old. He should hit all these milestones as a right. normal baby. And he hasn't hit any milestones. He's still, um, he's still like a one month old baby. Um, he lays on yeah. the ground. He can't talk. He can't walk. He can't give you signs. Um, he can make different noises when he cries. Right. He can give you, you have to work for it, but if you work really right. hard, you can get some smiles out of him. Yeah. Um, which was the greatest feeling in the oh, world. I can imagine. Yeah. You, you work and you work and you work and you don't get smiles and you keep working and working <laughs> and still no smiles. So you start throwing them around in the air and tossing them up and down and then he smiles and then it's worth it. Right. Um, so he, you know, we're learning his disability at this point. So we move forward and we just make the very best life that we can for him. Um, once he started getting healthy, uh, we had an experience where we actually got contacted by the blaze, which is Glenn Beck. Um, oh, yeah. it's his radio slash TV station. Uh-huh. Um, so we had been, we had made t-shirts, um, that said jet B on them. And they had a picture of, you know, a little boy in a, in an airplane. Um, uh, my brother-in-law actually made these t-shirts 
And we had kind of spitballed off the idea when he just gave us t-shirts when he moved to Omaha. It was just kind of like, hey, here's this cool like Jet B logo. Take it right. out there. And anyway, I remember at dinner that night, we all kind of spitballed and we decided we're like, hey, well, why don't we sell these t-shirts to my friends and family? And um, and that can kind of help offset the medical costs a little bit. And right. since we want to travel and we can't take Jet traveling, why don't we let them travel for Jet? And so wear your shirt wherever you travel, take a picture and send us the picture of where Jet's gone. And, uh, and we're like, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing idea. Like we can finally let jet travel the world, which is, yeah. you know, one of the things that we were really depressed about. To do, yeah. And so that was a really cool idea. And I owed it all to my brother-in-law cause he came up with these shirts and these logos and kind of set it all in motion. But, um, it was just supposed to be between our family and friends and yeah. KSL actually got a hold of the story somehow. And they ran a story on it. And then that's how Glenn Beck came into the picture is okay. he, I guess freak since he is Mormon and he looks at Mormon news. And so he frequents KSL and he saw the story on KSL. Okay. So they flew us out to Dallas and did a show on us um, for father's day and just talked about jet and the jet powered foundation, not the jet powered foundation, sorry, jet B um, project. We actually called it jets flight plan. Oh, really? And, uh, That's so cool. he pushed jets flight plan and he pushed it to all his listeners and told Jet's story and, uh, we were just completely unexpected of it, but right. he, um, he sold over 5,000 shirts to his listeners. Oh, wow. And so when That's we showed awesome. up to his show, um, so he had pushed this all kind of before we came to the show When he, when we showed up to the show a week or two later, um, he, he presented us with a check of $20,000 because that was, that was the proceeds he made from the t-shirts he sold, Wow, which was incredible. Um, yeah. So we were able to take that. Sorry, my story's kind of you're, no, you're all over the place. No, but, this is good. Um, so anyway, we were able to take that money and we we put it all towards Jet's medical bills and we had about $10,000 left over and we're like, well, what in the world do we do with this? And we wanted to pay it forward. We didn't need the $10,000 for Jet's medical bills. Um, I mean, granted, we're probably going to have them eventually, but we put right. it into a bank account and we started a, we started a nonprofit called the Jet Powered Foundation. Um, and our goal was to help, uh, families and kids with rare neurological disorders. We didn't really limit ourselves to how we help them. If they need right. help, we help them. Wow. Um, and so we started using that as a platform to kind of spread awareness of jet. And we started doing, we did fundraising through, um, through workout activities, through being active because both Tanil and I were very active and, we were very thankful for the bodies that we had because there's some people like jet that can't use their bodies. And so right. we, we had this motto of uh, move for those who can't. And so we would, we had organized uh, CrossFit light competitions or five K's or mm -hmm. fun runs. And, and that's how we did fundraising with the motto of please come out and, you know, move for those who can't come appreciate right. your body um, and use it. And I don't care how fast you can do it or how good you can do it. Like you have a body that works, come out and use it and participate. Right. And so that was really fun. We, we did that for years. Um, it's kind of fallen, fallen between the cracks a little bit since jets passing, but we still, we still have plans of, you know, revamping that. That is cool. Um, anyway, sorry, we'll, we'll kind of skip through the, all the details though, but the next couple of years we had really good years through dental school. Yeah. Um, I was able to make it through dental school. Jet was able to experience some incredible things, both on his own, but even more so through his flight plan. Um, I actually have some stats here through Jet's flight plan. Yeah, let's 
Um, he, uh, where is it? So through Jet's flight plan, flight plan, he traveled to over 33 countries. He went to all 50 states. Whoa. He summited Mount Everest. He dog sledded the Iditarod. He flew, and he flew in a combat mission over Afghanistan in an Apache helicopter. This was all for what? a four-year-old. So he did what? He did what on Mount Everest? He summited Mount Everest. Seriously. So somebody that summited Mount Everest wore their jet shirt up and took a picture on top of Mount Everest. Oh wow! Gotcha. That um, is amazing. So all yeah. So sorry, he didn't actually do any of these things, but <laughs> through Jet's flight plan, he <laughs> did all of this. Yeah, I know what uh, you're saying though. Yeah. Which was amazing. And so we we carried a blog called uh, jetsflightplan.blogspot.com. And nope, sorry, it was fighterjet.blogspot.com. And every time someone would send us pictures, we'd post them. And it was really fun. It was really fun. And Jet yeah. Jet wrote the blog. Um, so okay. it's from his perspective, which was <laughs> really fun. Awesome. Um, That's so cool. And I mean, he couldn't do anything else, but he could type on a computer and write a pretty good blog. So <laughs> right. it was incredible. It was a miracle. <laughs> so anyway, flight plan, it was fun. Um, we did that. It was an amazing experience. Um, and it was so incredible to to just see how, how humanity and how the world came together. And right. they really, they really grouped behind jet. And, uh, we got so many just random emails and messages of just how jet was inspiring to them. And wow. so we used him kind of a, as a platform to introduce people to special needs. Okay. Um, he, he looked very normal for most of his life. Um, you couldn't really tell he had special needs. He looked very, I'm obviously biased, but I think he was very handsome. Yeah. And, uh, he had some, he had some googly eyes, but if you weren't looking right at his eyes, he looked fairly normal after right. he did get his cleft lip fixed and that mm -hmm. was no big deal. And, uh, so we used him cause he wasn't intimidating and kids, yeah. uh, we'd go to church and the kids in church would fight over who got to hold jet in primary. Um, <laughs> cause awesome. Tanil was the primary pianist. Uh -huh. And so she'd take him and someone would need to hold him while she was playing the piano. Everybody fought over him. That's awesome. And, uh, and it was most of those kids first experience with special needs and right. they were just so sweet and so incredible with him. And it was so rewarding to be able to introduce people right, to special yeah. needs through him. It's amazing how people come together. Isn't that amazing? It is. It's really I, cool. I'm sure you, you appreciate it more than I do, but to see all that happening is pretty incredible. It's yeah. They it chokes can really, me up to think about it. You know, it, it really does. Yeah. It, I mean, people will rally behind a cause. And, you know, people always say that the world's so bad these days and the news is right. always showing bad things. And ICE had such a different experience through the last couple of years right. that the world is inherently good. We see the tip of the iceberg of the bad, but I feel like everybody's just good. Yeah. So just yeah. the things, the things we had some experiences with people out in Omaha where they just showed up at our house and gave us money. And I mean, that humbled us. It was, this whole experience was just such a humbling experience, but I guess let's fast forward kind yeah, of to, let's jump ahead a little bit to Jet's here. passing. So, um, unfortunately he, we moved back to Utah. Um, things, things between me and Tanil had kind of started started to, started to get a little bit shaky. Um, but we moved back from Omaha at the end of dental school and, you know, we, we didn't know what was going on with us as a, as a relationship, as a husband and wife, but we mm -hmm. moved back and we were living and uh, Jet just got really sick back in Utah. And so he, he went up to the hospital, primary children's could only do so much for him. And then uh, they sent him over to uh, more of a long-term care facility where they said, you know what? We need to manage his meds. Right. Um, we need to get him back to himself and manage his meds. And 
So we went to this long-term care facility and long-term, I was thinking about a month. That's what we were planning on. And so we went to the care facility. We got him pretty much regulated back on his meds and we could start to see his personality again. He was right. out of this chronic pain again. And, um, somehow while he was under the care of the hospital, the care facility is out. Um, he suffered a broken femur, which oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's a big bone. And yeah, if you ever, sure. if you ever listen to Brian Regan as a comedian, he has a whole oh, skit yeah. about the femur ward. Yeah. Say I mean, eight. Say eight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the tens reserved for the femur breaks. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, all I could think of is after I saw that femur break and it wasn't just like a little hairline fracture. It was, it was broken in half. I don't know what happened. But wow. I mean, I can just imagine how much pain this little guy is in. Sure. Yeah. So he had to get cat. He was ready to come home. It was, it was December 9th that it happened. He was supposed to come home and get released December 16th and it happened on December 9th. And he had to get casted from his nipples to his ankles. Um, he had to have a couple surgeries where through those surgeries, we thought we were going to lose him. Um, he just did mm -hmm. not rebound from the surgeries at all. Um, but we didn't, he fought through all of that. He fought, he was just such a fighter. He fought everything. Um, mm -hmm. there was multiple times throughout his life that he should have, he probably should have given up and we right. should have lost him, but he was such a fighter and he made it through everything. Um, and so, you know, he has this broken femur. He's in this cast. He is miserable. He's in this care facility that he stays in 24 hours a day. Usually I'm, we're up there every day right. after work and right. Everybody's scared to take him out because he's in this cast. You can't hold him. You can't cuddle him. You, yeah. And I just feel so bad for him. And my thing with him is we just go out and we play and that's yeah. all we ever do. And so right. whenever I was up there, we'd take him out to Costco. There was a Costco right by the care facility and we'd go <laughs> wander around Costco and man, I got so many stairs. I'd be oh, carrying sure this little did. kid around in this full body cast. Yeah. He's rigid. He's on my shoulder and. I, I can't imagine what people are thinking. Oh, and I got a feeding bag connected to me on one side, an oxygen tank in the other hand, and carrying this kid in a full body cast. They're just like, what is going <laughs> yeah, on? Yeah. I mean, I'd walk yeah. down this busy aisle of Costco and the ways would just part. Yeah. They'd just get out of the way for how, me. How old's Jed at this point? He is four and a half. Four and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he's at that care facility, uh, broken, ca broken leg. Uh, he finally, he fights through that. He gets the cast off after a couple different surgeries and it kind of heals, but not very well. Um, but anyway, he's still in the facility and they're trying to get him back and managed on his meds. And without going into much detail, he ended up catching a couple of viruses and they are respiratory viruses. And unfortunately that's usually the way that these kids go, right. uh, because one of the areas of the brain that's affected is the respiratory center. Sure. So when they get respiratory depression, uh, usually leads to respiratory failure. And so he was just very much on the track of respiratory failure. Mm -hmm. And we kept having measures to keep him alive with oxygen and high flow oxygen. And, um, we finally got to the point that he was, he was just way too miserable and yeah. he had lived a really, really impressive life for what he was given. And he had kind of outlived the odds of what the doctors had told right. us. And, yeah. you know, me, me and my, it was actually my ex-wife at this point, we, we went through a divorce through, uh, through the last year and a half of this. And, um, we, we kind of saw things differently. She was looking out for him, I guess. And I was looking out for me. Um, she was very much a fan of saying, you know, jets fought so long and he's, he's just miserable. He's in pain and he's not getting better and we need to let him go. Right. And, uh, 
I wasn't ready for that. I, I thought he was fighting to stay with me cause I wasn't ready. Yeah. And so finally I, finally I gave in and I listened to her and, um, I, I had a very sweet experience because it was very against my will to say, okay, let's take him off this oxygen. Let's take him off these things that are keeping him alive and, and just let him go comfortably. And it's his time. I didn't think it was his time. And, um, I haven't shared this actually with a whole lot of people, but I, we took him off of his oxygen and started giving him comfort measures. Right. I was just, I, I tried to work that day. They told us, you know, Hey, it could be a week or two, you know, he's, he's just going to slowly go. And so I tried to work this day. It was March 2nd. I was at work for the first couple hours and I just got the worst feeling. I said, no, I cannot be here. And I had to cancel all my patients right. and I just left and I went up to the hospital and I walked in there and I just saw jet and he didn't have his oxygen on. He was blue. And I just, I just knew, I just knew today was the day. Yeah. And, uh, so I grabbed him and my in-laws were there and I was, I was not about to be nice to anybody. <laughs> I grabbed yeah. him and I put him on my shoulder and I said, we're leaving. And we just walked outside and we went and it's March. It's usually cold in March. Um, there's two things in the world that jet loved. One was hot, was heat, mm. usually hot water. Okay. And the other thing was music and somewhat, somehow amazingly, it was probably 75 degrees that day in the middle first of March. Yeah. That's pretty rare. Here. It was super <laughs> rare. And so I grabbed jet. I'm sorry in laws, but we're leaving. And I put him on my shoulder and I just walk outside and, um, I just sat outside, outside on a little patio with him and he just cuddled up into my arms. He's got his cast off at this point. And so he can cuddle and, um, he just cuddled up in my arms and, he was really rigid and really uncomfortable. And as soon as I put him in my arms and we sat down, he just relaxed and he closed his eyes and he never opened them again. Um, he didn't pass away right then, but he closed his eyes and that was the last time he had them open. He just fought for every breath from there on out. And, uh, sorry. Um, don't be sorry. You're good. But right then it was, uh, it was his way of telling me that this was his time. I was, uh, I always said that jet will tell us when he's ready to go. It is not our job to tell him when it's his time, right? He is going to stop fighting and he's been a fighter his entire life that, uh, that I was a true believer that he's going to stop fighting when he's ready to be done. And, uh, that was the moment that he stopped fighting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was fighting the fact that it was his time the whole time. And as soon as I went out there, he was rigid. He was fighting. He was, he was rigid and kicking and uncomfortable and fighting everything. And as soon as we went down there and sat down, he, I know it was just him relaxing down and saying, dad, the fight's over. I'm done. And, uh, so anyway, we, we took him home from the hospital shortly after that. And, um, and me and Tanil both knew it was probably going to happen. And, um, we weren't living together at the time. Um, we were divorced and I just said, bring your stuff over to my house. Like this is your staying here. Right. And, um, so she came over and we called our really close friends and our family and just said, this is your last chance to say bye to jet. And so we had, we had a party and, uh, it's exactly how jet would have wanted it. He, he loved attention. He couldn't express it very much, but when he had attention, 
he was just giggly and happy and his whole persona changed. And so we had a party. We had all of our friends over and, you know, it was a very emotional party. Yeah. I wouldn't sure. suggest having this kind of party. Yeah. But right. uh, we probably had 20, 25 people over there. And uh, one of Jet's nurses was there. Our really good friends were there. Obviously, you know, most of our family was there. Um, and, and Tanil gave him a bath. He loved hot water. And so she was able to jump in the bath with him and give him a bath one last time. And it was the last time I ever saw a smile on his face. He just, just a relaxed smile, but again, he didn't open his eyes. Mm. Anyway, we went through the night and, um, he just took his last breath in my arms Wow! and that started a whole new phase of our lives and, uh, you know, learning to cope with the loss of a son yeah. and loss of a child and grief and anger and, uh, you know, all the five stages of grief, yeah. you, you experience them, you go through them all. they're definitely all real. So, yeah. yeah, but that's, that's Jet's story. Wow. That's, you know, I, you know, and especially, you know, listeners, I can imagine when they're listening to this, cause I know how I'm feeling right now. It's just, it's emotional. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to you. And, uh, part of the reason why I wanted you on this show is that, uh, not only to share that, but, uh, you know, kind of the amazing things that you uh, have uh, gone through and have grown from and the blessings that have come from Jet. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk just a little bit about the things you have learned through this whole process of, you know, from the time he was born until you, until he passed away. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. Um, I actually uh, got asked this question last night. Um, yeah. What's what's the biggest thing I learned from Jet? And uh you know, when people, when people ask me that and I don't have time for a longer answer, I'll right. say unconditional love because that's the easy answer. And yeah. it's true. He did teach me unconditional love. Like I said before, there was lots of times I wanted to chuck him out the window. <laughs> um, and any parent of any kid has the same experience, you right. know, but, and I think kids always teach parents that, but, uh, jet taught me so much more than that. Um, so I'm just going to read you this text that I wrote. Okay. Uh, Thank you. I learned that obstacles are placed in our life at certain times for certain reasons. Jet completely humbled me. He changed my entire outlook on life. He changed my entire outlook on life. I wrote that twice, I guess. <laughs> um, specifically disabilities, people that are different, how to love, facing challenges, dealing with what's in front of you no matter how hard it is, and how to be compassionate. Jet came here, taught so many people different things, then quietly taught me his last lesson, how to cope with loss. I don't know why I needed to learn that one but I will forever be a stronger person. I also no longer fear death. I know I have a perfect little angel waiting for me. And when I get there, he will run and jump in my arms for the very first time. Wow. Um, that's powerful. So he taught me a lot. Um, and that's certainly not all that he taught me. Right. Um, he taught me how to fight. Uh, like I said, he's a fighter. I feel guilty if I'm ever, ever doing anything and I'm like, ah, I, I, I can give up. Like, I don't want to finish this. Right. Jet didn't have an option. He, he fought his entire life. He fought through pain almost consistently for his life. And he just dealt with it. And he, you know, he would love moments that were happy. And then he'd go back to his fighting. And so I feel guilty. And I've learned to fight. And I've learned to just fight for happiness because that's what he did. He fought so hard right. for those smiles that yeah. I would get. And, yeah. Um, anyway, lots of lessons. Wow. And I know you mentioned it earlier. How, how long ago was it that he passed away? 
So he passed away almost 18 months exactly. He passed away on March 2nd of 2017. Okay. So since then, um, I mean, you already mentioned that even before you passed away, you had had set up that foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, How's that foundation going now? And if someone wanted to kind of maybe learn more about this foundation, how would they do that? Um, That's a great question. So I'm kind of embarrassed to say that uh, for some reason, I don't know, maybe the last 18 months, I've been a little bit lazy and unmotivated. Um, and so the jet powered foundation has kind of gone on the back burner. Um, we, we love sharing Jet's story and we love fundraising and we fully both me and jet's mom, um, fully expect on kind of re-upping, uh, the jet powered foundation. Um, okay. it's just a matter of us being in the right frame of mind. Sure. Understand. Um, but yeah, so we do have a webpage, um, jetpowered.com. Um, I just checked it last night and it was down. But okay. we are working on that, so hopefully it will be up. Okay, you know, by the time this goes out. Sure. Uh, but yeah, Jet Powered Foundation or Jet Powered Foundation's webpage is jetpowered.com. Great. And uh, you can learn more about that through that webpage. And like I mentioned before, Jet's blog is it's just kind of a fun read. He is yeah. fun go lucky, but it's uh, fighterjet.blogspot.com. Okay. That hasn't been updated in a while either. But <laughs> that's okay. Um, so. You know, I mean, we could sit here. I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, what, you know, how has this changed? I mean, obviously you read something very powerful. You know, I, I'm a big believer, and we talked about this um, before we got um, on air here, mm-hmm. about uh, the power of our beliefs mm-hmm. and how it dictates the way we behave. Mm-hmm. Through what you've been through a Jet, um, what are your beliefs now about just you and the world and just how is that, uh, changed if, if, if at all. Oh, it's, it's changed completely. Um, (laughs) unfortunately I'm probably falling back into my Mm pre-jet personality. I have people, usually my parents that tell me, geez, jet really changed you. But now I'm seeing the old Cody come back. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but, um, you know, kind of going back to what I said before, but you know, I believe that the world is inherently good. And if we, yeah. if we give people in the world a chance, everybody inherently wants to help. And yeah. so if you're ever in the need of help, all you have to do is ask. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really hard for people. And this is one thing I've really learned is it's hard for people to do unless they're asked. Everybody's always, they'd say all the time, like, Hey, what can I do for you? Or if yeah. you need anything, just let me know. Just let me know. Well, yeah. <laughs> Also, we're, we're prideful in the world. Nobody, nobody wants to be like, Hey, yeah, I really need your help. It takes a lot for anybody to do that. And so I, I try, I'm not the best at it, but I try from these experiences to not say, Hey, if you need a hand, let me know. That's kind of my cop out. If I don't really want to help, I'll say that. Uh, but if I really want to help, I'll just do something. Hey, they need dinner. So I take them a gift certificate or Hey, they need to go hang out. Like they're, they're dying. They need to get out of the situation. So, Hey, you want to go hang out? You want to go do something? Let's, let's go fly an airplane. Let's go ride a bike or, you know, get them out of the house. It's not like, Hey, do you need to get out? It's so I think that's one thing that I've, I've learned to do is, and you asking these questions is making me realize that, but I never did that before. I love that. I've learned from that. Yeah. I think, you know, and I, and I, I'm guilty of it too. Hey, if, if if there's anything I can do, let me know. When in reality, I'm just saying that to be nice. Mm -hmm. I love the part where you say, just do it, just get out 
and help someone and and you know what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what help you need, so I'm going to go just do it even if you you will say, "Well, I don't need that." Well, here it is anyways. Yep. So I love that. And I think what what a great message to me and to our listeners. Uh so thank you for sharing that part. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um if uh you know, I asked you before we got on the air uh, if there if if you could give a challenge to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um and would you would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. Well, actually, I have two challenges. Now. Oh, great. Um, one is uh, it's the motto of the, the Jet Powered Foundation, which is move for those who can't. Um, so I encourage everybody, whether you're fat, you're skinny, you're out of shape, you're in shape, uh, whatever you are. If you're in a wheelchair, if you can't use your legs, but you can use your arms, however you can. If you can use your body, I encourage you to use it. Go out and be active because there's people that would give anything to use their body and they can't. Right. And so appreciate what you have, even if it's not what you want to have, it's amazing. And you have the ability to use your body. So please use whatever you can. Um, and, and that's what we really, we really preach that with the jet powered foundation. And I'm really excited. And I've had some brainstorming to, to get that going again. And I'm excited, but my other challenge is going off of what we were just barely talking about. Uh, if someone's in need, if someone needs help, if someone's drowning, if they're suffering, just jump in. Yeah. Uh, just, just do it. I mean, yeah. Nike's logo and I guess that's in controversy <laughs> right now, but it's a good one. Just do it. Just it go is. and do something. You know, if someone was drowning in a pool, you're not going to be like, Hey, you need a hand? Yeah. No, no. Okay. <laughs> you're just going to jump in and save them. Right. Yeah, You're going to, you're going to do. Yeah. Uh. So same thing. I challenge everybody to, because I know that's, those are the only people. No, I take that back. Lots of people helped me, whether they jumped in and did it or not. Right. Those are the ones that I remember or the ones that showed up with dinner, even when I didn't want it. Right. And you know, if I wasn't hungry, it was leftovers the next day. Or, you know, when we were at the hospital, someone that just showed up with chips and salsa because they know long hours at the hospital suck. And, right. you know, just, just help people whether they want it or not. Yeah. Very, that. yeah. What, both both of those are great challenges, and I'm going to do that myself. Um, you've inspired me. Jets inspired me. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, one thing I want to maybe end on, um, well, two things. Uh, first of all, you, you, you mentioned in that uh, text that you had read that you no longer fear death. And, it's, and, I, and I love that because I think what you're saying is that you know you're going to see Jet again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, – I think that's uh, something um, that's very comforting, I'm sure, to you, yeah. knowing that. It was it was actually interesting because as after Jet passed away, I'm trying to figure out how to cope with it. And uh, this is when I realized I'm no longer afraid of death is because I'm I'm a I'm a sissy like I, I'm scared of death. <laughs> right. But uh, I. I'm adventurous, I guess I'd say. Sure. Um, and I've skydived a little bit in the past and mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. But, uh, after jet passed away, I decided that I want, I need to do something to stay busy, something to occupy my mind. I can't just sit idle because it's going to think about jet. And, um, so I decided to go out and get certified, um, and got my skydiving license. And I said, you know what? Like, this is great. Usually I'd do it like once or twice right. and be like, ah, this is fun, but oh, I could die doing this this point I was like, you know what? If I die, that's great. That's yeah. fine. I'm not suicidal, but if right. something happens and Would I happen okay? to die, yeah. like Jet's going to be there and I'm going to be, I'm going to get hanging out with Jet again. Yeah. So, but yeah, it does come from the belief that I will get to see him again. And you know, I know he's up there wreaking havoc and 
right. you know, hanging out with all the other PCH babies and they're running around and jumping through fields and right. discovering cool. their legs and arms and brains yeah. and they're loving it. And I can't wait to get up there and meet them. Love it. I love it. what a powerful belief and uh, what an amazing story, Cody. Um, if people want to reach out to you personally, if that's okay, if we can, mm-hmm. uh, who may have a, a child that's special needs, they're struggling or they just want to get some advice from you, how would they reach out to you personally if, they, if that's okay? Yeah, of course. Um, my email address is cody.bozeman at gmail.com. Okay. That's C-O-D-Y dot B-O-S-E-M-A-N at gmail.com. Beautiful. I'd be happy to, yeah, happy to talk to anybody. Okay. Well, listeners, thank you uh, for tuning in. And Cody, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, this has been a blessing to me to hear this story. Uh, I'm just fighting back tears the whole time <laughs> as you're sharing this. So thank you so much for being willing to share this with all of us. And uh, what what a what a great uh, example you are and uh, and uh, you are to uh, everyone you come in contact with. I think it's beautiful. Well, thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. I love, love speaking about Jet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please, uh, sh- you know, listen to this. And as you do, think of someone to uh, share this podcast with that can uh, – help them. And then just like uh, Cody said, when you know someone needs help, don't just ask, do it. Just get in there and get involved. And I love that. And remember listeners, there's nothing wrong with you. That's my motto. You guys know that by now. And uh, thank you so much for everything you do. And again, Cody, thanks for coming in bright and early. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me.